What were you saying about your uh, breathable hat, Jim? Your stovetop? My, yeah. yeah, it's my stove stovetop hat. This hat does uh, work all year long, basically. Need a yeah. costume for Halloween? I wear this hat. Want to be, be a Bobaduk? pilgrim on Thanksgiving? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Need to be a pilgrim on Thanksgiving? I wear this hat. Need to do a Christmas Carol episode? Dress up like a Victorian dude and wear this hat. <laughs> and there's our there's our soundbite intro. Welcome to the Voyage Podcast, a show that traverses the oceans of myth and legend through the lens of Catholic theology and philosophy. Come aboard as we set sail in pursuit of the heroic life and Christian virtue with your hosts, Mike Schramm and Jacob Platty. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Voyage Podcast. If we sound a little rusty, it's because we actually haven't recorded in a while. Not, we're not going to date ourselves, but it's been a little vo- bit of a break, even though we we kind of piled up some um, episodes that just took Jacob forever to edit. But then uh, we we kind of <laughs> kept that same same recording schedule even around these busy holiday times, right? Because that's what we're talking about right just now. Just for you guys. That's yeah. right. Just for you guys. So, and in this one, we're going to be talking about one of our favorite Christian myths. What the a uh, story of Christian. a Christmas Carol, yeah, Isn't, I love don't you think? Story. Yeah, so I, oh, um, I love and, it. I love it. This is and, a uh, Christmas ghost story. You know, do you think that people actually realize that this is a ghost story? It calls it's itself almost like a we, ghost story. Yeah, like they, we take it so for granted. Their spirits. That, yeah, if you if you read the actual book, mm-hmm. it does have ghostly elements to it you know i think depending mm-hmm. upon your version like it, most people i think i've uh, probably seen this through a tv show or a movie and maybe well, we'll get into those book. too yeah the the muppets version yeah. and all that stuff so oh dude i love the muppets version um but yeah it's it's uh i like ghost stories in general and this is a christmas ghost story you know well, you know why it's a christmas ghost story mike because Why? back in Victorian times, it was super, it was super traditional to uh, tell ghost stories on Christmas Eve. Huh? Have you ever heard of that? I I actually I, heard, I, hadn't heard that specifically. I mean, obviously, I'm we're familiar. We're, we're talking about a Christmas Carol. If it hasn't been obvious yet, uh, I don't think I've actually said <laughs> the title yet. So uh, talking about tra- talking about Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. But as Jacob and I are going to get into, not only we're going to talk about the fun, um, more modern iterations, because that's what we do on the show all the time. Is where are the ancient myths, and then how are those myths sort of retold, either in a Christian context or in a modern context, and how can we kind of synthesize all those together? Well, so we'll, we'll of course talk about the original, talk about the modern iterations, and then what are these specifically Christian elements to it? But Jacob, you're saying there's a, because I actually wanted to go into Christmas tradition. So you kind of segued perfectly. Oh into, yeah, this is, you know, I'm I'm just intuitive like that. Something um, like that, yeah. But uh, the, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to look it up sometime. I'm going to find out like when we stop doing this. But it's as, like, so people used to tell Christmas um, ghost stories. And that was like a, that was like the thing to do on Christmas Eve was like sit around the mm. fire and tell each other ghostly tales, right? Hmm. Um, and you even you hear this in um, it's the most wonderful time of the year, that Christmas song. Okay, uh, there'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmas hmm. as long, long yeah. ago. He's, he makes a reference to it. So sure. I mean, and that was in like the 1940s when that song was you know came out. I, I think. Um, and so it's not even that long ago. You don't have to go all mm-hmm. the way back to Charles Dickens to like get references to people used to do this type of thing. Um, 
And I, I you, think that do has... Do you at home, do you tell ghost stories to the kids no. at home on Christmas Eve? <laughs> ironically not. Ironically not. You think if anyone would, it'd be me, but... <laughs> well, I actually... We'll I, I say this because um, one of the things I wanted to kind of... This, I mean, is also airing originally the... Um, uh, the day after Christmas, I think is the 26th is when it's going to fall. And so wanted to talk about, uh, you know, what just Christmas traditions you do either to prepare or maybe on the day of or anything, or is there anything that you and your family do? Um, just as, you know, again, Christmas mm. tradition sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, nothing that a million other people don't do. Like we yeah. do have a habit of giving the kids a present on Christmas Eve. Sure. And that presents everyone like, <laughs> 16 years in, everyone knows what's coming. It's going to be pajamas in some kind of movie mm. to watch as a family. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. it's like not even a surprise anymore, you know, but, mm-hmm. but that's, kind of that's, like it's pajamas. the comfort of the tradition, right? That's yeah, the thing exactly. too. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we do that. Well, similarly, we do, we give all the kids a book on Christmas Eve and then, um, I, I, we've also done like a board game sort of thing too, where it's like, sure. but we can't all play the board game anyway, because you know, some of the kids are just too young. So it's mom will play the board game with the older kids and then I'll wrangle the younger ones or something like that. But sure. Um, sure. But, uh, the other guys, one that, Oh, go, oh, on. go ahead. Um, so our parish does every year, which I mean, a lot of parishes do this too, but, um, we will, will some, the spirit of St. Nicholas will embody one of our parishioners. We'll just say to kind of use Lord of Spirits language, <laughs> the spirit of St. Nicholas will embody one of our parishioners yeah. and, um, will, you know, kind of put on a little bit of a presentation, talk about the life of St. Nicholas. Uh, they, you know, it's a little bit of a, um, a reception. So there's like some snacks and treats for the kids and stuff and kind of go try to make, you know, the more Christian connection to Santa and St. Nicholas, um, known and relevant to to the young people so so we've done that the last couple of years i keep petitioning to our pastor to let me dress up as krampus because historically nicholas (laughs) saint nicholas and krampus go together right i said hey we got to try to you know we gotta we gotta weed the or we got to um uh, separate the wheat from the chaff right so krampus has to come in and you know hit all the bad kids with a stick while santa gives the good kids the uh the presence, but he keeps, As you know, he keeps, he's not returning my calls. I don't get it. So that's the, <laughs> I don't, you know, he, he keeps Do, avoiding uh, my, he keeps avoiding eye contact with me after mass too, but you know, whatever, I guess. Well, maybe you shouldn't look like a goat. You know what I mean? Like, cause you show up already dressed in like the goat leggings and like the Satan horns. <laughs> yeah. And well, it's, it's just like, awkward for everyone. Mike, I want to, I want to show him that I'm serious. It's like, how am how is he supposed to know that I'm serious? You're preemptively if I whipping the kids and you haven't been given permission yet. It's like, you know, they always talk about zeal and it's like, nobody actually wants to like live it out, I guess. But, One wants to so, see some real commitment, you know, yeah, some real exactly. seasonal spirit. I don't get it. So, so you anyway, know, it's that's a crass um, holiday these days, man. Let mm-hmm, me tell it's you. It's co- too commercial. They're, they're too taking commercial. out commercial. So yeah. anyway, the, um, I also wanted to, you kind of mentioned, or we both talked about a little bit, our favorite, um, versions of not to i mean i don't know did you have another tradition you wanted to go over i didn't want to i just i make a super alcoholic eggnog that i got off the internet on the internet it was called grandpa's eggnog that was just like like grandpa's tranquilizer yeah and it is i you know i love giving it to people uh and just letting them like experiencing it (laughs) without any warning because you really get the (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> you know, kind of like 
reaction. <laughs> so it's like moonshine it's just, eggnog. It's, <laughs> it's basically just like whiskey that's been yeah. uh, put into a kind of creamy concoction to make it okay. look like eggnog. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, it's funny. We had. It's great though. I love it. It's perfect. We did a we did a Christmas thing over at your house last year, and I don't remember. Well, I should say I don't remember it anyway. Yeah, I so might not maybe have it had worked. The eggnog. Yeah. No, yeah, that was yeah, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> it worked. So. Um, yeah, that was fun getting together for Christmas. But I know yeah, we're a little, yeah, you know, we're both, uh, both of our, our families are not right around Christmas, but not long after Christmas. We'll, we're both expecting a newborn. So it's we can't enjoy the eggnog with the wives, then why bother, right? Is that? Oh, I, I enjoy the eggnog. <laughs> yeah. 365 wow. okay. days a year, if you get like, my what, drift. You're like, what? It's Christmas? Is that, <laughs> what does that have to do with it? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Uh, I'm out there on the 4th of July drinking that eggnog. You know what I mean? Yep, like, yep, uh, yeah. America sort of just thing. a festive drink. Did you mm-hmm. ever see, there was a movie starring Kelsey Grammer called an American Carol. That, that was, sounds familiar. I mean, is it a retelling of Christmas Carol? Oh yeah. But I, it's a, okay. it's, it's literally it's, it, a Christmas Carol, but like it's about someone learning to be patriotic. <laughs> and, oh, okay. Uh, I'm trying to think like who, who actually comes to visit. It is. It's 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 one of the million versions of this story. Okay. Um and I I think George Washington is like one of the spirits. <laughs> I believe I'm pretty sure like Patton. It's... I think I think General Patton might be one only, of the spirits. <laughs> only in America. <laughs> only in America. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's got a very specific demographic that it's catering to. <laughs> yeah. That particular movie. Uh but I was one of them, dang it. I liked it. Yeah, it was I guess fun. so. Yeah. You had to. You wore your uh, your uh, Marines uniform when yeah, you watched it exactly. and saluted yeah. at the end. Is no, I, I wore this hat and I had a Lincoln beard because this hat was uh, because you know, the hat works for everything. It works for everything. everything. So there's. Absolutely. So you just you went through. You said Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Now you've got a Fourth of July application for July, it as well. Man. President's Dude. Day too. That one's already covered. As That's well. true. Yep. So, uh, so. It, yeah, you're kind of getting into, because um, kind of the next segment that I wanted to go through is our favorite adaptations of A Christmas Carol, because it's been done so many times. Um, so, oh, yeah. you know, I've got a couple, but I, I wanted to give you, a, maybe you started us off, you kicked us off with the uh, well, American Carol, but. Do you think it's interesting? Here's the thing, and maybe I'm speaking for myself. I don't think I am, though. I never get tired of this story. No. I've, no. I've, I've seen a million versions of this story. Mm-hmm. I watch this story in one way or another every year. It's either and, this mean, or it's a retelling of A Wonderful Life. It's like this and A Wonderful Life are just, re, it's recycled, retold, you know, recycled has a negative connotation, but. Yeah. I don't think anything can touch A Christmas Carol for just like how many different takes. Yeah. Like, it's almost like they make a new one every year, frankly. Mm-hmm. I just well, realized. Every, like new show has to do. Yeah, every, uh, there's every, new every sh- show. Every show has to do their version of either this or a wonderful life, you know, if they're releasing an episode around Christmas time, it seems like. Well, and it's interesting because even it's a wonderful life is almost like a play on a Christmas carol, right? In in a sense like they yeah. both kind of do the same thing in showing you alternate takes on your reality or parts of your past that help inform your present, right? Or help inform mm-hmm. your future kind of thing. So yeah. I think that there's like a um, similarity to well, the actual the, type of story being told in both of those classics. 
a very similar redemptive redemption arc, of, of course, too. And like you said, the yeah. playing around with time or the what if questions, that's, I mean, not that those elements aren't present in tons of other stories too, but so just in this specific way, it seems like, like I a wonderful life is a retelling of a Christmas Carol sort of. A Christmas Carol is back to the future part one and it's a wonderful life is back to the future part two. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's, that's what I just realized. That That's yeah. a great teaser for a future episode, which we did not plan. <laughs> we did not plan that beforehand. So I but. do think it's fitting that we're doing a Christmas Carol um, in the this month um, because it's Christmas. No, <laughs> obviously oh, this well. month. But yeah, so what a coincidence, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, we've done a bunch of time a bunch of time-based episodes. You know what mm. I mean? No, and sure. So yeah. It's quite fitting. It's quite fitting that our Christmas episode might as well be like time-based too. Because yeah. this is like a, a, an early time travel story. And so you know the next mean? year when we do A Wonderful Life, it'll be um, the what-if element. So we can do the what-if season of Marvel and the what-if comics of Marvel. <laughs> then we can do the what-if... Wait, um, so what if, you're, uh, you're going to want to do mel- multiverse stuff next year too? <sighs> Look, honestly, it's going to have to be a multiverse I, series. It's unavoidable. Oh. This is the version of me that is willing to do it. This is the yeah, this is the version of me that's willing to do it, I guess. So, the only um, stories being told anymore are I multiverse thought, stories. I honestly so maybe you have heard of this, maybe you haven't. I you're going to love this, Jacob, but did you know that there is a book called A Vampire Christmas Carol by Sarah Gray? When his old friend no. Jacob Marley <laughs> rises from the grave on Christmas Eve oh, to geez. warn him about a mounting vampire attack, Ebenezer Scrooge, with three mysterious spirits to guide him, has one night to save himself and all he once treasured to finally win back the love he cast away. I mean, come on. Like, that- Amazon, <laughs> I think it's only six bucks, the Kindle version on Amazon. So, a vampire Christmas. I feel like that's all, that's got you written all over it. I. I want to better understand what that description was actually like. He's trying to save his money. <laughs> like he's, no, everything well, he, he much say, valued. It says plus the get lo- the girl. He, I mean, he wants the money and the girl, right? Like that's, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I can't tell you anything at, at the expense of the vampires. I can't tell you anything more, but uh, that's, that's your teaser. So, you know, if they're actual like, European folklore vampires, I might be interested. I feel like you, you, I had you at vampire Christmas Carol like that. I didn't need to describe it any more than that. Like how, how I are don't you trust even, anything? Uh, you've got me all wrong, you? Mike. How are you still here recording and not, you know, <laughs> downloading the book so that you can read it immediately? <laughs> I um, uh, I actually am super leery of anything post twenty fifteen that has the word vampire in it. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's probably fair. Uh, yeah. I uh, historically like vampires, uh, but you know, I, uh, I didn't write down the I didn't write down the publishing date. It might have been I. It could have been before that, to be honest. I didn't. If they came out in like eighteen forty three, I'm totally there. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, the other one is a Christmas Carol murder by Heather Redmond. The latest novel of Heather Redmond's acclaimed mystery series finds young Charles Dickens suspecting a miser of pushing his partner out of a window, but his fiance, Kate Hogarth, takes a more charitable view of the old man's innocence. So, A Christmas Carol. Okay, so murder. he's like the 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 person everyone hates who's obviously the bad guy. 
but he's not really the bad. He's not the murderer. Just because he's a bad man doesn't make him a murderer. Is that what the it's the one the you least expect? Is? Maybe I don't know. I haven't yeah. read it, Jacob. The, <laughs> the innocent bad man that gets defended by the public defender. The misunderstood that... bad man. The misunderstood. Bad man. <laughs> I don't think Scrooge um, is misunderstood. I think Scrooge is in definite need of repentance. <laughs> so the one that the one that I actually wanted to talk about because I I legitimately really like it and I I actually rewatched it last night in preparation. Um, so there's the new iteration of DuckTales, which came out in like 2017, 18 and 19 or no, 2018, 19 and 20 or something around those, those years. But, yeah. um, so they, they read it. So it's not the one from the eighties and early nineties that we might remember from our childhood. One but of the they, best ones. I'm going to talk well, about that when you're done with this DuckTales one. Well, I will say this, the new iteration, I really, really enjoyed. Um, really? and it's a very well, like it's, so it's three seasons and, the the three season like arc of the whole story is really good, but then each individual mm. episode, I, I strongly encourage it. But uh, anyway, I'll have to check it out. They do so they do kind of a and and part of their whole thing too is that they will take a lot of those um, either like tropes from the earlier Ducktales stories and kind of turn them on their head in like a funny or a, a unique way or something. But um, they of course with obviously the main character um, Scrooge McDuck being based off of Ebenezer Scrooge, they're going to play around with the um, the the Christmas Carol story, so it's uh, so there's the obvious reference. It's a turnaround, turning around. Um, it it's instead of him like being visited by the ghost to like scare him out of his wealth because again, who's gonna you know who wants to see that again? They it's <laughs> it's they the ghosts are coming to <laughs> the ghosts are coming to to party with Scrooge um, because he likes to get out of the responsibilities of you know taking care of everybody around Christmas time, but uh, the. The clever so part the ghost of, of Christmas past, present, and future are coming to party with Scrooge. With Scrooge, yeah, that's part of the and part enjoy of the story. enjoy the irresponsibility of the holiday. Is that that's is that what's happening? <laughs> so, okay. what's uh now where the where the story gets kind of um, interesting or clever or different is uh, have you ever heard of a Wendigo? Uh, sure, oh yeah, the the mythical Absolutely. Wendigo. So there's a Wendigo mm-hmm. in this one, which is. <laughs> Does he inspire? Is this is this the episode where like the three duckling nephews are served up on platters? <laughs> Not yet. No, we didn't go. We don't go there. But yeah. um, it sort of plays off of the like the ghost of Christmas past, especially, and um, just sort of like I, I almost see this as like a very millennial like fear of like what we've talked about in past episodes too of like our past coming back to haunt us and how when you like almost like revoke tradition or you spit on the past or spit on the grave of the past, it's like, it's going to come back and get you. And there is a little bit of element to this when it comes to the ghost of Christmas past and the Wendigo, but that's all I'm going to say about it. That's you, you gotta, you know, go fire up that Disney plus. I definitely want to check it out. Fire up that Disney plus subscription and uh, check it out. So I got a, I'm on a three month subscription right now. So all right, check it out. Um, but. you know, you mentioned the actual Mickey's Christmas Carol from 1983. Yep. That is such a fun version of the story. And it's mm-hmm. short. It's only like 23 minutes or something like that. It's like a mm-hmm. short, but it's got so many cameos and it's got a bunch of cameos from like the classic heyday of Disney where it's got like the wind in the willows, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Toad is Fezziwig and the, um, weasels are the people who like, uh, their grave people in the graveyard digging scrooge's grave and things like that yeah um and you know it's just there's so many cameos in it it's really really well done it's really really heartfelt it's a great version of the story to share with like young children Mm -hmm. um 
I adore Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah. I yep. I read a review once of a Muppet Christmas Carol. That was Christmas Patrick Carol. Stewart, right? Patrick Stewart was Scrooge in that one? Or am I thinking oh, you're of... you're terrible. You are a terrible human being. Uh, he did play Scrooge because there's the three one? million versions of the story. Yeah, okay. And Patrick Stewart did one, yes. Okay, that wasn't, that wasn't the one I'm thinking of? No. no, this one had Michael Caine. Oh, Michael okay. Caine yeah, I, okay. Scrooge. I, you need yeah. to revisit this movie. If I guess so. If you're confusing Michael Caine with Patrick Stewart, then it's clear you haven't seen it in a while. And I, okay. it's... It's one of the best versions, dude. And the music rocks. And I say that because I read a review of this movie. It was one of those things where it's like this person was comparing all the different, like, from the last 20 years, Christmas carols, you know? Mm -hmm. And this person said they thought the music sucked in a Muppet Christmas carol. Mm -hmm. And that's crazy talk. (laughs) That's crazy talk. It's like that's a really fun version of a Christmas Carol. It, you got to be a. It's, it takes a cynical person to. Uh, it's absurd. Like, <laughs> it's absurd to call the music in that bad. It is not. Um. So, the uh, that's definitely one of my favorites. And mm. uh, then there's the Scrooge version, the old black and white 1950s one, which actually takes a lot of liberties with the story. Mm. Um, but it's still a really good version as a movie. Um, the guy who played him in that Alistair Sims, he was like the Jim Carrey of his day, which is okay. ironic because Jim, Jim Carrey, Carrey does a, played Scrooge yeah. in an animated movie. Um, I, I was actually I brought this up, um, just kind of thinking about the Christmas or Christmas Carol, and I, I just kind of said to my my high school students, I was like, oh, um, have are you guys familiar with a Christmas Carol? Just want, just wondering if it's even like relevant, you know, like just the original story. And I said like, what version of it would you guys have seen? And the one that they were most familiar with was the Jim Carrey one, um, which again, age wise, that sort of makes sense. No, it makes sense. And here's the thing. I, I am middle of the road on the Jim Carrey one. In some ways it's kind of great. Like there's, it's really, really faithful to mm. the novel for one. Um, and you get a lot of stuff in there that, that is really on point, but then you also get a lot of like roller coaster rides and, you know, trying to use the image capture technology and the 3d technology to try to wow the audience in theaters and things like that. And so this mm. movie kind of ruined itself by putting a bunch of weird dated or like dating effects and like thematic choices that makes it kind of a goofy movie Mm. it's so it's like this really really great version that is full of really really odd decisions and because they did it in like that 3d animated style of like the mid 2000s it's it doesn't you know the graphics have been kind of like superseded you know what i mean it's Mm. it's got that weird dead eye polar express thing going on well the, um, the we've talked about the uncanny valley before and yeah, yeah it's, it, it's the, there's like uncanny valley stuff going on mm-hmm. and so it's i wish i wish that someone would do a movie version that is like that movie that attempts to be really really faithful to the novel um but without gimmicks just like do mm. a good live action or whatever realistically animated if you want you know the the way they they've gotten human figures and animation down pretty good nowadays if someone did it's uncanny yeah Yeah. i I take it back though i want a good live action version of a christmas carol that has like the scary stuff in it 
but also mm. has all the holes, like is just faithful to the novel because the novel is the it's a perfect classic. version yeah. of this story. Yeah. Um, it's got really creepy moments in it. It's got mm. tons of heartfelt moments in it. And Charles Dickens is such a whimsical writer and he's so mm-hmm. good at writing people and situations. Um, I listen to, uh, it's like three hours on audiobook. It's more of a novella. And you can find um, it on YouTube for free too. So yeah, sure. I, I listened to Tim Curry, um, oh, read gosh. it though. And it was great. <laughs> Tim Curry yeah. is so good. He did That's, a great job reading it. Yeah. Yeah. So I um, love this story. Well, let's get into, yeah. So let's get into the actual, the actual novel itself. Um, I, you know, I just have a couple of like general, I guess, statistics about it. I, as we've mentioned, written by Charles Dickens, um, you've got published 1843. So we're talking, what would that be like industrial, post-industrial England or kind of the, you know, in terms of yeah, the setting, because it, it's, it's taking place in, revolution time. in a sense, it's taking place in the present day of when it was written. So well, it's, you it's know, not like he's, even though it's obviously including ghosts and there's a lot of like mythical elements that we're going to get into, it's not so much supposed to be a once upon a time story. It could be a, you know, just yesterday sort of story kind of thing. I do think it's interesting because I, I forget that Charles Dickens was writing, <laughs> you know, for his time. So every mm-hmm. single Charles Dickens novel is a contemporary novel that he's writing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he's become such a, um, you know, a, a creative mind from the Victorian era that everything just feels old fashioned, you know, with Charles mm-hmm. Dickens. But he was a super contemporary writer and frankly was kind of a progressive guy as far as like the type of stuff that he wanted to talk about in his works and things like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, it's taken place uh, contemporaneously for his audience. But he basically invented Christmas. Um, as we understand it, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, Jesus invented Christmas. Right? Okay. Well, thanks for clarifying <laughs> that. Yeah. I didn't but, know what, uh, you know, what you ortho bros were <laughs> changing up. You guys, I mean, you guys aren't the ones to change things either. So that's kind of surprising, but you uh, know, and this is completely unrelated to the fact that we're doing an episode on this. Uh, and you know how I said there's 3 million versions of a Christmas carol. Yeah. I am going to create an Orthodox Christmas carol play for the kids to do at the church this year. In fact, I've already done it. And okay. obviously this episode is airing, you know, past Christmas, but we are going to do a Christmas carol, like a little like, you know, 8-minute version of it. Okay. But it's it's an orthodox Christmas carol. I would I hope somebody uh, gets that on video so I can uh, <laughs> check it out. I'm going to uh I'm going to play Saint Nicholas. <laughs> okay. Good start. Just gonna put a bunch of uh, I'm gonna put a bunch of flour in my beard and uh, you know be a fat jolly Saint Nick. So excellent, excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the other thing I thought was interesting about the kind of the structure of it is so it's broken up into five staves, which I mean it is called a Christmas Carol. So it's like the kind of the parts of um, I'm, I'm blanking now. Um, like on when you're looking at notes on a music sheet, mm-hmm. you know, like the five sort of like. Um, oh, sure, where you'd sure. put the uh, where you'd put the notes or whatever. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. that's the the bars. I thought that was. Are they just called bars. I'm not a musician. I don't know. Okay, that's I. I double checked. I looked. It's called it's staves. S t a v e. So, okay, uh, all right. But um, but anyway, 
So that that sort of fits with the whole kind of it's called a Christmas carol. But mm-hmm. now I want to get into, you know, like, so how is this in general? We don't have to talk about how it's a Christian myth yet, but how is the story itself mythological? So what are those kind of mythological elements um, besides ghosts, which we'll talk about the ghost part of it too, but like, what are some of the things that we can kind of draw out from the story that that shows that it's clearly, you know, whether you want to call it a parable, which it, which it very much is a parable, right? Um, um, but a, a mythological story too. Uh, I was going to go direct, directly to the spirits, but if you want to talk about non-spirit well, no, elements we, of no, the story. I, yeah, um, I guess that's fine. Go ahead. Well, uh, all right. So the first thing that comes to my mind when it comes to this, and I actually use this, I used a Christmas Carol as an example when trying to describe things to my kids um, about the nature of like how spirit works. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. We talk about, we use spirit very, very broadly in English. So, you know, wine and liquor uh, can be called a spirit, right. Or you have school spirit or, um, you know, the spirits of 76, right? You know, the, mm-hmm. the founding fathers. This idea that you spirit refers to something that pushes you. Spirit refers to something that um, influences you, right? Yeah, um, it that's takes why you out of alcohol yourself. Is, yeah. yeah, exactly. It takes you out of um, yourself, certainly. Uh, theologically speaking, uh, and uh, I mean, I don't know. I guess we're going to kind of mix up your your goals here as far as trying to keep, you know... <laughs> Christian stuff and myth stuff separate or whatever. It's but. okay. Do whatever you want yeah. as always, Jacob. <laughs> yeah. We'll say that's my gift to you. That's my Christmas Aww, gift to you. Thanks, yeah. buddy. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's just what I always wanted. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, uh, the spirit, everyone has a soul. Any any living thing has a soul, right? This is mm-hmm. this is Aquinas, is it not? You know? Aren't it's Aristotle, you yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. Okay, well, there you go. Even further, um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Aquinas, Aristotle, I mean, come on. Um, okay, let's but, slow uh, down there, buddy. <laughs> let's, let's not go beyond our depth a little bit, okay? Uh, okay. So uh, it just means something that l- is living that animates you or whatever, but a spirit is a certain kind of soul. A spirit, and so like when we say that we are spirits, that we have a spirit, right? Um, or even when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, which is God's spirit. God has mm. a spirit, the Holy Spirit. Um, we're talking about the element of us that uh, uniquely empowers us to be an image of God, right? Well, it implies agency. That, it implies a little bit more agency. Absolutely. To use that yeah, Intentionality. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Um, everything that's living has a soul, but not everything that's living is a spirit, right? Mm. But I also think, now this is where we're going to get back into like the mythology of things and things like that, or sure. the understanding of like spiritual reality, is that um, there's disembodied spirits, right? The angels, the demons, you know, these creatures that back in the day were called gods, small g gods, like Mm -hmm. Zeus and Aphrodite and all that. These things are spirits, like they're a spirit. And so this is, you you mentioned Jonathan Pajot a little bit ago, I think, right? I think that was on camera, but like, (laughs) maybe I don't don't know. know. (laughs) I think I said Lord Um, of Spirits. I think I said Lord of Spirits. Not, I don't uh, know. I'll be editing this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness. Um, But, uh, you know, he has a whole, he has a whole um, kind of message about how like Santa Claus is real because he's a spirit, right? Mm -hmm. That he actually, the spirit of Santa Claus literally influences people, literally embodies people, um, you know, and so, 
I think that you can talk about angels and demons um, as spirits because it's what they are. And that we ourselves are spirits because we also have intentionality and agency and things like that. Um, and so when you apply this to a Christmas carol, I think that's that's why most people, they think ghost, they think like the spirit of a dead person, right? Mm. But what Charles Dickens says is that like, it's just the spirit of anything that influences people. Like a dead per like people influence people. People can push on people. People can actually like maneuver the world around us. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. We're called to go and participate in the culturation well, of reality. And, and speaking to that, you know, the movement is is um, not just physical and it's beyond physical because you get the sense too, and, and a lot of the um, adaptations of the story, it gives you the sense that like after he's been visited by the ghost of Christmas past, um, present and, and uh, yet to come, you get the sense that he's like waking up from a dream. And so in one sense, Scrooge hasn't moved at all, right? Physically, but he's very much moved in terms of like in a much realer way, um, in a much more profound way. He's moved from, you know, this actually the beginning of the novel describes him as like the hardest of hearts, like the coldest of cold. Oh, yeah. And then he becomes yeah. the, you know, the most generous person in town. So like mm-hmm. that's a much bigger movement than him going from this side of the country to the other side of the country or, you know, wherever he was being carried off to. Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't have a um, hard definition for when uh, a spirit, you know, so if I say that uh, Santa Claus is a spirit or there's such a thing as school spirit or something like that, am mm-hmm. I saying that Santa Claus is a god, is a angel, a demon or something like that, right? I'm not, I'm not prepared to say that, but I'm also... Um, I'm not sure where the line begins and ends, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give, I'll, we'll use Santa Claus as an example here because uh, it's Christmas. Um, St. Nicholas, uh, the Bishop of uh, Mira, uh, is, is real. He was a person. He is one of the most beloved saints of all time. And that kind of makes him one of the most influential saints of all time, mm-hmm. right? And um, the spirit of St. Nicholas there's a reason why Santa Claus is based on St. Nicholas because like his spirit of generosity and his influence within um, the classical Christian tradition um, within Catholicism in the West uh, was so profound that he became the template model impression um, that a started out in all these like Scandinavian countries and like Northern European countries um, as being such a formidable presence during Mm -hmm. his feast day. And then that, in modern times, becomes St. Nicholas. I think yeah. that you can have Santa Claus, um, Santa Claus, right? St. Nicholas. Mm. Like, there's a good version of him. He's the Bishop of Mira. <laughs> he's real. Yeah. Santa Claus is real, right? Like, he, he's a Bishop from Mira, and he listens for your prayers. And mm. you can pray to him and all that. I think that there's like an evil version of Santa Claus, though. <laughs> there's okay. like a co-opted version of Santa Claus that is the crass commercialism of Santa mm-hmm. Claus that's been completely secularized and removed from Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and who's to say, like, I know that Santa Claus is a concept, but who's to say that's not there's not some kind of demonic 
reality that's adopting one, the visage of that Santa can Claus. move people just as much as the you right. know model of generosity and Christ-centeredness and all that stuff. Which is why you know, like I mentioned at the beginning, a lot of parishes will try to um, sort of like take that back and say we're gonna you know like reintegrate. We're going to keep the Santa Claus thing because it, it it started off as a good thing. Even if most people are familiar with a corrupted version, we want to move right. people back or people um, be moved again by the original, the obviously the purest form or the one that is Christ-centered. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how, so just talking about the ghosts, before we even get into Christmas past, present, and yet to come, uh, Marley, so I was saying how how mm-hmm. is it mythological? So Marley if if you think of our um, archetypes in mythology, Marley is a herald, which I hadn't thought about until just getting ready for this episode. But like, he's the one who heralds the ghosts that are going to do the real action in the story. He's yeah. the one preparing the way. And what's even really great about this is, again, if if you don't that you won't see this unless you you actually read it, is before Marley shows up, uh, Scrooge starts to see these bells that are ringing, and that's mm-hmm. exactly what a herald would do, right? Sure. He, sure. And so he's ringing the bell, and then, but what it, it sort of transitions into the bells ringing, to it's it becomes the chains clanking, the chains that Marley carries with him. So it's almost like a transition from the one to the other, where you know, the the bell is is preparing the way, which is what Marley's going to do. But it's also the the clinking of his chains, which he created because of his greed, which we'll kind of get into when we talk about the specific Christianizing of the mm-hmm. or the Christian nature of it. But I I just love that. Um, so, you know, him uh, being that he's announcing, he basically gives you the entire, like, the whole book in that first chapter or that first uh, stave of saying, well, like, this the- is what the book is going to be. This is what the whole book is going to be about. This is what you, the reader, need to learn from it and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's heralding it to us just as much as he is to Scrooge, too. Well, it's such a really great scene, too. Um, yeah. From a, especially, like, from a Catholic perspective, that's all purgatorial. For sure, mm-hmm. it's like openly purgatorial. Oh, um, I know that's what's one, funny. One about thing, it, yeah. one thing that's not really captured very often in um, adaptations. Uh, some of the older movies still have it, but there's this really powerful moment where Scrooge is shown the whole world full of spirits, hmm. and they're all people that are dragging the chains, um, just like Marley is. He's not unique. Yeah. Um, basically, uh, he's given a vision of London. He looks out his window and it's just full of spirits everywhere surrounding everybody. And their torment is that they can no longer assist anybody. They can no longer influence the world, right? Well, yeah. And actually it reminds me of, and I, I put this, um, you know, in the, the Christian mythological section, but we can kind of combine them all together. It's very yeah, much I the I story. I think it's pretty hard to mix, the, like to, to keep them separate. This is such a Christian story. It's very like, much, and I wanna, the, yeah. it's the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And so you were describing it as purgatorial, but it, it, it almost is modeled, like you can almost see how Dickens was modeling it after the, the, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, where after the rich man dies and he's in this, this torment, he wants to go back and warn uh-huh. The you know his his brothers basically, which you could take that as biological or just kind of spiritual brothers, um, and that's kind of what Marley was in a sense. He was granted this permission to do almost, which is a fascinating from a Christian perspective um, because we think that prayers for the dead are efficacious, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's this idea that God will grant 
a certain um and it's always unique it's always dependent there's not some kind of like one shoe fits all way that god answers people's prayers but Mm -hmm. there's tons of stories of people having visions from people coming back uh from the other side of death Mm -hmm. in order to help their repentance right and i mean i i acknowledge that jesus in that parable that he says of rich man lazarus he's saying you know i'm not you know if they don't listen to moses and the prophets then they're not going to listen to you kind of thing um but frankly the christian tradition does have examples of both um, and in this case, one of the things that Marley says when he shows up is the per- people are assigned to travel a certain distance in life. Mm. And that travel is meant, it's like getting your steps in <laughs> as mm. my wife might understand it or put it. But, um, mm. but like, you're supposed to travel the world a certain extent in order, like in a charitable way, like yeah. the movement you make through reality for the sake of other people is assigned to you and whatever you don't achieve in this life, you're destined to continue to try to achieve after you die. It's the classic ghost fulfilling its purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Classic ghost fulfilling its purpose thing. Well, within this context though, it's so, it's so much related to like, you have this much love to give. Mm -hmm. You have this much love that you are meant to participate in. Right. Mm. Um, this fulfillment of God's plan for your life, which is to be like him, you know, mm-hmm. and, and be loving like him, that's, uh, there's this purgatorial nature to the idea within the Christmas Carol story that, um, and, and you'll just to, feel the weight of it. And just for a, to chains. pause for a second, even if the word purgatorial or purgatory getting hung up on that word, it just means purifying. So there's right. a purification, right? That's all purgatory means. So you can call it a, a purification that every person, every Christian has to go through. And to the degree that we have not been purified, we're not going to be able to experience the love of God perfectly. And so that could be, you know, that obviously is happening to us in this life, but to the degree that we have not been purified, but still desire that relationship with God, it's going to happen in the next life, right? Whether you want well, to call it purgatory or not. Yeah. And honestly, I, I don't even like ascribe to purgatory in the Catholic sense as an Eastern Orthodox Christian. I, uh, I think that there's a purifying factor to death and, and there's a, a phase of purification um, that occurs. And that's the common ground for purgatory that Catholics and Orthodox have. Um, the Catholic Church kind of explained it more, you know, across time uh, in ways that the Orthodox Church hasn't bothered explaining it in that light. But this basic idea that there's You'll a come around, purgative. Though. That's okay. <laughs> You'll come around. <laughs> but I, I love the Christmas Carol version of this, though, because mm. basically the idea is, is that um, it's, it's repentance, that Marley's mm. repentance is yep. um, experienced in death. And his inability to actually move, you know, there, there's, and this is Lord of Spirits stuff. If you've listened to any of the most recent Lord of Spirits episodes um, in late 2023. Um, they point out that like the dead can't repent because they're not alive. Like, or I mean, they're not embodied. Mm. And so without your body and without your ability to like live in time, you can't act on the world. You can't participate in God's love. You can't be what you're supposed to be because you're you're no longer physically manifest and you're no longer temporally manifest. And so you literally can't give someone a cup of water. You can't give someone your cloak, right? You can't mm. walk the extra mile physically with somebody. 
that's what it means to say that the dead cannot repent. But we also get this impression as it's kind of dictated in a Christmas carol, but also kind of going back into like Christian ideas that the living can experience repentance and help the dead in some manner through their prayers. Right. Mm -hmm. And that purgatorial state, that purifying state, it's it's envisioned in a Christmas carol as these ghosts no longer able to like help people, but having Mm -hmm. to watch in sadness and in repentance to see all the suffering that they could have alleviated, mm-hmm. but they didn't. But and, on the flip that's side, how they get to repent. You get the sense too that um, Scrooge's conversion or Scrooge's repentance aided in the purification or the alleviation, and that's why Marley was participating in it too. And right. so that's and that's all part that we're all sort of extrapolating from this first conversation between Scrooge and Marley right at the beginning of beginning of the book before, you know, any of the, you know, the real juicy stuff of the story comes up. That's the thing, though. I actually think that I mean, I love the rest of the book, too. But this first stave mm-hmm. is just amazing peak storytelling. And it is so rich mm-hmm. um, that it's it's probably one of my favorite parts of the book, frankly everything well, about it. And if you remember, again, this is a detail. I, th- I think I've seen it in one of the versions. Like I said, I, I they all get jumbled together. But um, do you remember when Scrooge goes to go home that evening and uh, he sees Marley's face in the door knocker or in the doorknob yep. or something? And, no, the door knocker. Yeah. And, he, and he mentions that um, he is sort of tied to that place as you were kind of describing. So he's tied to that place. And, and I remember there's that, um, there, I call it skeptical Scrooge, where he's like, trying to like dismiss, you know, yeah, Marley's presence. You're a little and he's bit like, of, uh, there's more gravy than the grave about you. Or oh, I, I love that line too. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, but he's like, well, wait, if you've been tied to this house for the last seven years, how come I'm just seeing you now? And it's like, seriously, Scrooge, like, that's what you're going to like, that's, you're going to look at, <laughs> you're going to be so tied to, but it, it kind of goes to your thing yeah. about, you know, in this life being tied to the body, being tied to time in a different way. Um, cause you know, that's what we're doing this month, I guess is time, right? That's the mm-hmm. uh, that's sure. the month of December. Yeah. That's so how it worked out. Speaking of that, it's 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 an it's mythical because it's eternal, right? We get a we get a peek at the past, the present, and the future, which means that when we're experiencing this story, we are stepping into eternity. We're stepping into eternity by getting a, a glimpse of all three of those, because that's what eternity is. Eternity sees the whole picture, and so that's what again makes this a um, a sort of myth as well. Well, I one of the things that's great about I'm telling you, I really love this book. And I think that it's like a really profoundly Christian book. Um, but it's also very, um, what's the word when you're just hypothesizing, right? This speculative. isn't dogma. Yeah, speculative. speculative. Yeah, speculative. That's a great word. Um, it's not dogmatic. I'm not claiming that it is, but it takes Christian ideas very seriously. And one of the things that I, I want to point out about the nature of this book is it's, it's, it's not so much a time travel book as it is an eternity book. Like mm-hmm. what you're saying, yeah. you know what I mean? When the spirits come to him, they take him outside of temporality and they just start to like show him almost like a heaven's eye view mm-hmm. of a, the first one is his life and she's called the ghost of Christmas past. And she focuses on elements from Scrooge's past, but especially in the book, it's not just his past. He actually, um, is taken to see his old fiance, what her life looks like now, mm. and even after he's out of it, right? So he is shown other areas of other people's lives from the past too. 
Um, it's basically this atemporality that mm-hmm. he's being brought into. Um, it's this kind of uh, Charles Dickens is sitting there. So what would it be like if we weren't beholden to time, mm-hmm. and that we could we could enter into this spiritual eternal realm where the spirits reside, where the spirits live, you know? Um, and so Marley is like the spirit world reaching out to Scrooge, mm-hmm. but then Scrooge leaves the temporal world and enters the spirit world with the he's, three ghosts. He's a man out of time. Is that the, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, right. that's our crossover. Yeah. There you go. Whoa. And we're back because now we're doing this again. I, or, I was transported by three ghosts and yeah, uh, I was brought, are, brought away. And now I'm, you know, wearing some. Yeah, exactly. Mike started out as the ghost of Christmas past and now he's the ghost of Christmas uh, present. Actually, I don't know. You looked more haggard last time. You actually cleaned yourself yeah. up for this episode. A little so maybe bit. It's the, yeah. yeah. So Mike had to leave suddenly last time. So now we're finishing this episode on a different day and that's why Which, mike looks different it so. will also air on a different day so really you know this is just fitting with the whole christmas carol as being a myth taking place outside of time <laughs> is this We're is this the etern- atemporality is this yep. this <laughs> an is, example this, of this is us living out the thing it's practicing what we've been preaching jacob is what this <sighs> is yeah you know what mike doesn't care about this because he's not the one editing this you know. i've been spirited away let's just this, is all it is this has no ramifications on his day-to-day life, so he can just sit there and joke you know, about it while I you know, sit here and curse you, him. You know, for considering that out of the two of us, you were always the one who had the, well, I'll just wake up and, you know, kind of show up and, and do whatever. <laughs> now, how does it feel to, yeah, have that the should be a hint. Know. That should be a hint that I don't want more work to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's anyway, fine, Mike. In the spirit so, of Christmas... If we, can go, if we can go all the way back to that time, to the time before, what were we talking about, Jacob? If you could just sort of put a bow well, on that. Well, fitting, fittingly enough. So we were talking about the atemporality of the story. And so mm. just to seg right back into it. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what uh, is going on here. It's this idea that um, the story takes place outside of time, which is, it's really, it's an interesting motif for an author like Dickens to be using in the 19th century. I think that we, um, it's an example of time travel, quote unquote, that has nothing to do with yeah. science fiction. It's more like mm-hmm. a mystical reality. Well, this is like and, a mystical experience that he's having. Well, and to even, not to like over distinguish, um, but even when we think of time travel, like you said, in the science fiction sense, you're still inside of time itself, going from past to present to future. Whereas here, we're going outside of time completely. So mm-hmm. it's almost like a it's it's a beyond time travel sort of story, which I mean, that's like any any once any story that begins once upon a time, any story that is, you know, a fairy tale of some kind, which this is him going from the real world of London to the world of fairy when he is, you know, transported out of his window or carried out of his window by the spirits. Well, and, so, you know, it, it really uh, at the end when he wakes up, he's like the spirits did it all in one night because as you're reading the story, it feels like it's taking place across days, right? Even though there's mm-hmm. like, um, you know, only the ch- the 
clocks are chiming every hour, right? So really, time mm-hmm. makes like no sense at all, like ever. Mm-hmm. But uh, Scrooge definitely wakes up feeling like, what day is it? Did I miss Christmas kind of thing? He's not sure because of how long it felt, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. it really speaks to this uh, eternal experience. Well, and the and, dreamlike quality, right? It's like you wake yeah. up from a dream and you're like, that was only, you know, this long or whatever. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, kind of moving into our our third sort of segment or our last um, area that I wanted to explore is we've talked about, you know, the story itself. We've talked about how it's a myth in general, but then how specifically is it a Christian myth um, and parable? And I don't want it to just be focused on the morality, even though that's obviously a big part of it, right? In terms of Christian morality and what it's talking about, what's he saying about greed and all that. But um, we'll, we're just going to kind of go through uh, some of the Christian mythic elements to to the story. To sure. this last one. So I did think it was interesting and this, you know, I'm not going to try to take this too far or um, uh, put too much attention on this, but you know, they, if you even like the Wikipedia page says that it's broken up into those five staves or the five parts. And my first thought was, Oh, like the Pentateuch, like, you know, I don't know. Like, I mean, there's something to be said about, you know, the most important books in, you know, whether you're talking about the Pentateuch in the old Testament or even just the book of the Psalms is broken up into five parts as well. Shocked by you, Mike, uh, as a high school teacher that you don't just recognize this is just basic essay writing. You have your thesis Intro, statement, yeah, you have three yeah. paragraphs, three three paragraphs of content, and epilogue. Uh, Charles See, Dickens what was I think, phoning it in when he wrote I, The Christmas Story. What I think you're forgetting, Jacob, is that even the essay itself maybe has a little bit more theological weight to it. Maybe Ooh, that's so, what, yes. You're putting the cart before the horse, Jacob. Modern essay, modern essay uh, instruction is based upon the Pentateuch. Is what you're telling me? No, I'm saying that that our Christian heritage runs deeper than I ever anticipated. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> I I do believe that unironically, Jacob, and I think you do too. So yeah, I, I wouldn't dismiss it. It's because it's a reflection of reality, and so there's a reason why. You know, when we took a look at the Pentateuch, whether we look at the Book of the Psalms, or even even just the five, you know, quote unquote historical books of the New Testament, where you have the four Gospels and Acts of the Apostles. Um, there's something to that. And like you said, the five paragraph essay, you know, intro, body, conclusion, body, brain broken up into three. Um, but even that, is that, is that, a, is there a deeper reflection of reality in just the way that we convey a thought, right? Because I even, I do tell my students, Jacob, when they do write their five paragraph essay is it is supposed to come full circle like a story, right? You introduce the concept and you give your thesis, then you restate the thesis in the conclusion because you're bringing the reader full circle, just like a hero's journey, Jacob. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, and since we're stretching so I've far, used, I've literally used that. So, wait, wait. Since we're stretching so far, I'm going to suggest that it's actually the two natures of Christ and the three uh, persons of the Trinity are reflected in this cosmic, you know five symbolism that's I, going on i look forward to your blog post for the for the Voyage <laughs> blog i look forward to editing that jacob so please by all means uh, you know all right buy my I, book <laughs> you know i i think it's self-explanatory enough i'm just gonna leave it right there yeah it's just so obvious that it's like <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing it's not even worth expl- yeah okay, yeah well i'm fine. just giving you a hard time and honestly i do you know uh numerology we gotta do a numerology episode that's what this sounds yeah. like no i uh, i you know, I'm on board with that. I normally I'd give you a sarcastic response, but like you said, in the spirit of Christmas, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll continue on. And and I did preface all this with saying I don't want to stretch this too far. I just thought it was interesting. So, okay. moving on, 
there sure. is we we do need to kind of touch on the nose of the greed versus sin um obviously kind of parable or or morality aspect to it so why don't we just kind of pow, power through with that as well well i so you know if you read the gospels uh jesus has like two main bodies of people that he picks on right one is mm-hmm. like hypocrites you know as kind of um defined by the pharisees and the sadducees and like the people uh in religious power that aren't living out like you know the convictions of their faith right uh and who is the other <laughs> who's the other main thing that uh jesus it's, person that jesus likes to pick the, on it's the rich right yeah, yeah it's, it's the, the rich man yeah and i did mention at the beginning of this that you get a sense of the um lazarus and the rich man when marley shows up mm-hmm. so it's very much it now obviously scrooge is sort of like he's almost like the apotheosis of Marley. Like he's like the rich man, you know, and Marley even says this, he's like, my chain stopped seven years ago, but you've been working on, you've been adding to yours for the last seven years. Oh yeah. Which, which again, numerology, that that's a significant number that it was seven years ago that he's been working on it for seven years sort of thing too. Um, I don't think that it even has to be a moral moralistic thing. I do think that Charles Dickens is famously kind of moralistic. He, you know, he's downright saturating in like uh, his black and white and um, all that stuff. But in this particular case, I actually think this is a fairly pure, very um, just kind of derived from um, some basic Christian tenets about like how rich can equal corruption. Right. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be. Um, you yeah. know, but like, uh, this is a, this is a repentance story, like through it's and tempered through. by generosity at the end. Right. Cause Scrooge doesn't stop being rich. He doesn't sell everything he has, like the, what must I do to be perfect guy? Mm-hmm. But he, he orders it towards generosity, I mean, orders it towards charity. We didn't really get tiny Tim's medical bills. So who knows how much <laughs> yeah. he had to pay. Right. Okay, but, that's... uh, yeah, yeah, this is this idea of repentance. I mean, this is like, um, this is a story about they had nationalized healthcare back yeah. then, Jacob. So <laughs> <laughs> poor houses. Right? Yeah, isn't that the real? Isn't that the real yeah. moral that Dickens was uh, was trying to communicate? I tell you what, when the especially in the book, the the spirits are downright antagonistic towards Scrooge in a mm. way that I don't think is always captured in the movie versions, right? Like, um, no. there's a few times like. Uh, did you ever see the one with, um, oh, dang, who played Patton? George C. Scott. That's a pretty good one from the 80s. Okay. Um, I, I'd be remiss if that. I don't like drop that in this podcast. But uh, if you want a fairly recent version that's in color, not black and white, that's still like a really good faithful thing. Um, the George C. Scott one is. And if I'm not mistaken, that one is is a pretty good version. And I think that there's a little bit of that antagonism going on. But like, uh, or maybe I'm just making that up. I don't know. Just an excuse to bring yeah. up George C. Scott, sure. right? Yeah, but like, <laughs> sure. but they really beat him over the head with like his behavior and the, his dismissive attitude towards the poor, and mm. um, you know how much his riches could be achieving something, but they're achieving nothing and things like that. Um, we are all the rich man. I've said this before in other contexts on this podcast. I think um, I say it all the time uh, to everybody. I don't know my kids especially. But like every single one of us um, in America anyway, in the 21st century, is a far richer person than even Ebenezer Scrooge would have been, frankly, in the 19th century. He might have been relatively um, way better than everyone else, but he didn't have air conditioning. 
He didn't have a refrigerator. He didn't have a, a leisure lifestyle of just sitting around, you know, binge watching three million versions of Christmas Carol. You know, <laughs> yeah. like uh, but to be fair, part of that was his own doing too. He didn't like leisure. He, you know, no, I know he didn't even so use his wealth. He wouldn't have himself. wanted. Yeah. yeah, he wouldn't have wanted leisure. Which maybe we'll, we'll kind of. Oh, go ahead. Maybe, maybe that's why he was able to repent because he wasn't actually using the wealth on himself. Because if he had, then he would have gotten too soft, you know. And then he's like, oh, "I can't give up my binge TV. I can't give up my Netflix." You know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you'll have to. You'll have to do an updated version. You know what? Here's a novel idea, Jacob. Uh, do an updated version of a Christmas Carol. Can you? Can you imagine? I'm, right? I'm, yeah. I already said I'm going to do a Christmas yeah. play on my church. And you know, um, in in that play, I actually is uh, the rich man. It's not Scrooge. the The Scrooge character is just called the rich man. And sure. um, uh, tiny or Bob Cratchit is Lazarus. <laughs> ah, <laughs> pretty, see, that's pretty clever, right? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, so the other thing too is um, uh, the his actions have real effects on others and himself. Now, why this is actually, and you were kind of talking about, um, and we'll talk about repentance a little bit more too. But this is what separates all Christian stories from every sort of ancient myth is. The, the story in ancient myths was they were ordered by fate, right? That was like the overarching force that moved every character. And that was the real struggle, right? It wasn't me versus my, my fellow man. It wasn't me versus even the gods. It was me versus fate. Hmm. And so now you have Scrooge who every, like, there's no, like, there's no, in a sense, fate that's moving him. It's always this, you know, now it's it's the... The, the Christmas spirit, so to speak, right? But it's his actions in all of these. Like, he is the one controlling whether, you know, in terms of these characters, you know, living or dying, right? Sure. And when we're kind of jumping ahead, but also himself, too. Um, yeah, go back spoiler to alert example. for a Christmas carol, everyone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you haven't seen, <laughs> you should, don't even have to worry. Yeah, yeah, don't even have to give that. Uh, but go back to the whole Marley episode where he says like, you've been adding to these chains. So like his actions have very much played a role in his, you know, eternal fate and stuff, which of course that's, that's a a Christian sort of judgment um, theme, but it undoes it, right? That's the repentance actually. He's not fated to it just because he had, he was on that trajectory at the beginning of the story. Yeah. The whole point is that he, you know, undoes it. Well, lines like, you know, he keeps asking the questions, does this have to be, are these mm-hmm. are these visions of things that must be, or are they visions of things that can be changed, can be altered, mm-hmm. whatever? And the answer to that question is, yeah, they can be altered. They mm-hmm. can be changed, in fact. Um, you know, along the lines of repentance, I think it's interesting that... Well, what and th- sorry, just one more, one oh, sure. more to that point is, um, you know, when he kind of has that moment... Now, again, this is where I'm maybe conflating the story itself with the the animated versions or the modern versions, but it's always the the ghost of Christmas yet to come always has this sort of like Grim Reaper sort of figure who doesn't ever speak and it just points at the grave, you know? And yeah, yeah. So in a sense, when he has that moment of does it have to be this way, he doesn't get the answer, but he repents anyway. And right. then we find out, you know, obviously if you keep watching the movie or you keep reading the story, you find out that his repentance actually did matter. So like even in the moment, he still Tiny has Tim the uncertainty. Lives. Yeah, but he has the uncertainty, but he repents anyway. So it's like, 
it's almost like he he's given him it's it's almost like an abandonment to divine providence to use another sort of like spiritual Christian term. But sorry, I didn't mean to. I want you to go ahead and finish up. I just want to sort of add that to. Well, I actually no. Too. I was about to talk about the third spirit. Um. So okay. And the fact that he is a grim reaper and that it is it's uh so everything about the third or the you know it'd be like the fourth stave, the third spirit is about uh the ghost of Christmas future and it's about death, like so death comes for Scrooge we find out death comes for tiny tim we find out um and it's all about scrooge facing mortality and i think Mm -hmm. that's a really really it's almost um if there's anything that i think people would criticize about a christmas carol it's this idea that scrooge seems surprised at death right i always found that a little bit like you know, are you just now realizing that you're about to die, Scrooge? When you know that, like, apparent, your business partner and like, yeah, like, has it not occurred to you that death is, you know, impending? You know, and all, why do you act so surprised at this idea that death? And he even, you know, or even that all, death would kill a kid because it's like you're yeah. living in, you know, pre-industrial or you know, very early post-industrial, like kids die all the time (laughs) it's like (laughs) well and and he's he's being shown all these people reacting to his death but the spirit Mm. doesn't talk right and so it's basically the entire time scrooge is like oh i get it you're showing me this other guy's death so that i can see how everyone hated him you know good thing that's not me kind of thing and as a reader you're sitting there going scrooge i mean come on man like how dumb Don't are you, you know right? dramatic irony yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> yes. exactly and so it's probably like the only thing that i would consider like something of a flaw but if uh if we're being charitable towards it i think that um what you can say is that it is a fairy tale um and the the dramatic irony is important to the story and the idea that people don't actually consider death you know like we don't take death um seriously and we'll see it applied to everybody else but ourselves even when it's Mm -hmm. looking us right in the face right and the reality Mm -hmm. is is that death is looking us right in the face like every day uh, mm-hmm. You know, we we're not given tomorrow. Go back as a to guarantee. our death episode. I know we were just talking tomorrow. about this. Yeah. You know, yeah, you got to remember that you must die, and that's the lesson that Scrooge learns. But that's also what makes this ultimately such a Christian story is that it is about facing death. It is about mm-hmm. facing the grave, and um, how the actions that we take in this life are crucial towards how we engage with death at the end of our life. And mm-hmm. when uh, he's given a sneak preview of death. It's um, the final nail in the coffin, blah, blah, uh, uh-huh. of uh, his, you know, selfish ways. Right. And, mm. um, you know, it's it's his final act of repentance is well, to remember death. And see, and uh, the great kind of connection that has, because I said I wanted to go. I got one last thing I want to talk about with repentance is if you were to just look at it uh, kind of like a surface level of the story, the repentance is he was a miser, he was greedy, and then he became generous, which of course that does happen, but there's a deeper repentance and it is tied very much with like what you said, remembering your death and, and seeing it, you know, having it presented to you face to face. Um, because if you read the description of Scrooge at the beginning of the story, it's not just that he's a miser. It's not just that he's greedy. You know, the, I, I've already mentioned before how he's described as having this heart of stone as like the coldest of hearts. I don't remember the exact language. Yeah. That's really good but, language, but I can't remember yeah, exactly how it goes. Um, but he hates, it's not even just about he needs to make more money all the time. Because the thing is, is that even if all you cared about was making more money, you're not going to make any money on Christmas Day, right? There's a reason why all the stores are closed on Christmas Day. Because like, 
or like you're not gonna like nobody's gonna buy anything anyway. So like mm-hmm. he's not gonna make any more money. But he hates the concept of charity itself. He hates the concept of giving somebody a day off when there could be work to be done. And that's the real kind of conversion or the real repentance that needs to happen is that, you know, that's about as close to the sin against the Holy Spirit as you can get, is that he, the very concept of, you know, charity, or you were even saying leisure, right? He doesn't even Mm -hmm. like use the leisure time. Like that's what he really hates. And he hates seeing it in himself. He hates seeing it. Can you think of a uh, more modern in himself? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and seeing it in Cratchit, it's like, um, and I, I can't remember. He had like the one boy that he's like, "Oh, I'll let you off early this day, but you have to make it up the next day and work." Just, you know, so oh, it is Cratchit. No, that is actually oh, that, Cratchit. Okay. Yeah, same okay. guy. Um, you know, I mean, like, I think that you see a lot of people. Like, I li- I work in corporate America, and there's a lot of talk about taking your um, leisure time seriously, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. been this kind of U-turn from the kind of like hardcore work ethic of like the fifties uh, through the eighties and things like that, where like the only thing that matters is like being efficient and making the most, um, you know, use of your time and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's been a positive turn towards trying to, at least in some businesses, my, my work is done pretty well with this. I would say, um, is taking your whole life seriously so that you're like a, a easy to work with and productive person at work. kind of thing. they see the holistic mm-hmm. benefit of it. Um, in some sense, Dickens living in this industrial revolutionary time that he was writing in, he prophesizes, you know, what that's going to turn people into. And it's a lack of love. It's a lack of charity. Everyone just Mm -hmm. becomes a cog in the machine. Right. And to some extent we all are now cogs in a different kind of machine. Maybe we don't have, it's ironic. We, we probably don't have the same work ethic (laughs) that people had when they, when they really cared about this type of thing back in the fifties. But mm. we didn't escape a machine. We just kind of got turned into like a more of like a digital well, currency. Now it's not, it's you know? like not so much the production machine as is the consumption machine. Yeah, and exactly. So that's maybe, yeah. that's the the different type of, you know, you're still a cog or whatever, but it's it's almost like it's doing something different, but you still have that, you know, nameless, faceless, valueless sort of, I mean, that's yeah, the, not that lifestyle. that's really the case, yeah. but it's not really the case, but that's oh, no, obviously yeah. what's being, yeah, of course. But I think it's so, what turns people into, sure, yeah. And, and yeah, either way, it's a, it's a recipe for despair, right? We see the despair very evidently in Scrooge and obviously he's able to come out of that and, and the grace of being confronted with death, um, you know, cures him, well, you could say. The isolation as well. Ultimately mm-hmm. he is miserly. He's alone. Right. Mm-hmm. And we even, I, I think that we all understand that hell is ultimately a kind of alienation, a kind of alienated state. Right. Mm-hmm. And that everything that we see is wrong in society right now that's really coming to the surface are all kind of symptoms of alienation and a lack of community around us and things like that. Even in the midst of people, we're surrounded mm-hmm. by people. We we spend more time on this thing called social media than ever. You know, we have socializing things happening all the time, but it's not authentic and it's not real community. And so there's this sense of alienation that's hitting like all levels of society. What Scrooge ultimately does his his journey of repentance begins by showing him his life growing up and how he started out longing for companionship as an isolated boy uh, into being the person who rejects companionship when he rejects mm. his um, fiance and all that. Uh, and then he starts to see other people's companionship on Christmas day. And then he finally sees himself die alone. Mm. And uh, 
there's other things going on. One of the things that I think is true of the book is you see his repentance each through each epoch. Um, it's not that like he's a jerk, a jerk, a jerk, and then he sees his gravestone and he has like a deathbed repentance, right? Because sometimes mm-hmm. some depictions kind of show it like that. Um, in the book, he really does. He's softened every by every spirit. Yeah. Um, it does a good job not making it feel like a really crazy U-turn at the end. But it's interesting mm-hmm. what things Charles Dickens chooses to slowly... Um, you know, work on Scrooge, right? Um, it's ultimately about community and it's ultimately about death. And that's, Christianity is here to fix that. Isn't that, (laughs) isn't that, you know, when people say, you know, that's what Christmas is all about, you'd be like, yeah, it's about death. Like that's, (laughs) it's about, so. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Christ came to uh, transform death, right? And to give us uh, eternal uh, relationship. With so God and with be, each other. So that we can be friends with death, right, Jacob? Into our bro. Yeah, okay. <laughs> sure. Call he back. doesn't even... <laughs> sure. That third spirit is never friendly towards Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> Gives him the silent treatment the whole time. It's a. It was a grace. It was what he needed. So, uh, I was going to say, I mean, I guess... You know, even though this is airing after Christmas, do you have any plans for Christmas, Jacob? I should say for the Christmas season, since you know, of course, it's not just one. Yeah, day, twelve so. days. Yeah, twelve so, days. So, what? Um, are, so, do you have any uh, plans for Christmas? I mean, we're not traveling or nothing like that. No, we're just going to be yeah. uh, staying at home, having a quiet little nuclear family Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. we've got I've got some some uh, in law or the in laws are, you know, they all, we all live around so. Hang out. The cousins are all together. It's it's all good. Oh, so. well, that's nice. But yeah, yeah have a, uh, a blessed uh, rest of your Advent, I should say now. Blessed Christmas, Christmas season, and uh, yeah, I look forward to having some of that uh, some of that eggnog you're talking about. Oh man, for sure. And you as well, Mike. Merry Christmas. And uh, I guess the only way to end this episode is like and subscribe. And God bless us, everyone. Thanks for listening to Voyage Podcast. The Voyage Podcast is a production of Voyage Comics and Publishing, which seeks to create exceptional entertainment informed by Catholic values that inspire people to live a heroic life. Voyage Comics seeks to advance truth and beauty found in powerful stories. To learn more, visit voyagecomics.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram 